Welcome to Secret Skin on the Infinite Guest Network, distributed by American Public Media, produced and edited by the Platform Collection, recorded in a closet by me. This is life the third time My podcast theme doesn't have no word And this podcast is called Super Skin That's an abstraction of Super Skin by Bus Driver Not this real skin, but the name of one of his songs This podcast is called Super Skin This podcast is also not called a podcast Yeah, yeah also got another name that is called the Secret Radio Hour. Sometimes there's some people that I don't want to say secret skin to, I think. Other than that, I believe in quantum physics, so no name is static and accurate. Oh boy, I just said I believe in quantum physics. As if quantum physics was something that you needed Uh, belief to engage with very interesting thing I just learned something about myself right now my name is Open Mike Eagle also known as Michael Eagle and this show is called Secret Skin also known as the Secret Radio Hour and yikes to that yikes to the fact that I said I believe in quantum physics speaking of yikes today's show we have an interview with Mr. Mike Kaplan incredible stand-up comic writer actor sometimes I think it's a great conversation and in it we actually talk about fear a lot fear is a subject that comes up quite a bit throughout the interview and what's really interesting is to hear how Mike has conquered fear and has used that fearlessness in developing his acting material over the years he shares a couple stories he was kind of afraid and I asked him a bunch of questions because I'd be fearful of stuff all the time like saying I be Instead of I am, get fearful of stuff like that sometimes, but then I do it anyway. And because I talk to Mike, I'm not so scared about it no more. I don't think so. Probably, maybe not. It's a pretty long interview, though, so we're going to get into it. But before I do, I want to share with you some things that I am afraid of. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's coming this way. What is that? Is that a... Oh my god. Shit. Is that a... It is. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's a really big chicken! Oh my god. It's happening again. Unproperly ejected hard drive! Hey, it's a, it's a document. What is this? Oh no. Forbes Annual Riches Rappers List! Boy, I feel a lot better after getting some of that stuff off my chest. Anyway. Our interview with Mike Kaplan coming up right after these words that are probably also from me. 
So now for my interview with Mr. Mike Kaplan. We met in the Lower East Side of New York. I think that's the Lower East Side. It might be the village. I don't do Manhattan very well. I don't do New York very well, honestly. Even though I'm coming there soon with Serengeti, October 14th. Me, him, Armand Hammer, which is Billy Woods and Lucid, plus Junk Science. It's going to be a great show at Glasslands. It's probably happening today. I don't know when you're going to hear this as opposed or vis-a-vis when I'm going to be in New York. I don't know when exactly those two things will occur, but I'm going to assume for advertising purposes that this is somewhat before that so that you still have a chance to go. It's wishful thinking for the both of us. Anyway, I met Mike Kaplan blocks away from the comedy cellar. So wherever that is, it's kind of where we were. And we found a restaurant that didn't have much going on. And we sat down and we started recording and we started drinking in the daytime. And it was great. I love talking to Mike Kaplan. He's a great guy. And here it is. There's a secret radio hour. And this is it. Do you have the uh, you have a phone with a keyboard still? How did you how did you make this happen? Because I've been trying to. Uh, I love it. I can't get used to it. Uh, I, I can't get used to not having one. I should say oh, specifically. Of course, I've had a uh, pretty much only droids for smartphones. Yeah. So I got like the first droid, and then I think this is my third droid. And it's specifically the Motorola droid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now why why that one? I mean. I think it was just, I, I was late to a smartphone game. I was with Verizon, mm-hmm. so I, and I got to it before Verizon had the iPhone. Mm-hmm. So they were like, this is a good thing. Like, I mean, the Droid was a, was a good thing. It still is. I like it. Yeah. And so now I'm accustomed to it, right. even to the point that a year ago when I got this new one, I think the Droid 4, it, the, the guy at the store was like, oh, no, don't do that. Uh, right. People don't like that. Right. I'm like, no, no, I like it. No, I'm, one, I'm yeah. the person that He's still like, likes it. Yeah, people, people bring them back and right. say they don't like them. I'm like, no, no I won't do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, so far, so good. It's been a year. I mean, you know, like any phone, it starts to devolve yeah. uh, and get on your nerves very slowly at first. Yeah, I mean, today it was just like you, I'm like hitting when it's plugged in. I can't. I know you're not supposed to like use it when it's plugged in. Oh, I think. Is that, is that a real thing? Maybe I don't know that. This, I, this is the strangest phone charge thing that I've heard. The only reason I remember it because I've heard it like four times now. That you're supposed to like let your phone completely die like mm. once a month or mm. something. Like because because I think that I'm told that. The battery has some type of memory to it. I think now that sounds like something. I'm like, I've heard that at least right now, if not before. Like, it sounds like a thing that could be true, right? Or one of those things that like was true for some phones, but right. you think they fixed that? Like right. the way that a screensaver used to be necessary because the image would get burned in the screen. Is that not true for televisions I'm, anymore? I, I don't think. At least for computers, I don't think it is. Okay. I think it's not. I think it's just a power, a matter of power that it, it should go off after not being used for a while. So what you're saying is we have urban legends associated with our technology at this point. Yeah, techno-urban legends. That is scary. Uh, Yeah, we're... Uh, the ghost in the machine stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's quick. <laughs> I do what I can. I didn't come prepared with this. Uh, well, I'm here with Mike Kaplan, and um, we're sitting in a random pizza shop, not eating pizza, uh, drinking, drinking, yeah, diner wine diner, and beer. Diner, <laughs> diner wine. Diner wine. That's my new band name. That's uh, that's my JJ uh, Jimmy JJ Walker impression. <laughs> diner wine. <laughs> um, we're in the West Village. Um, you you were here in the area. You just got through recording the podcast. Yep. 
Uh, what show was that that you just got through? Uh, you know what, dude, with Bobby Kelly uh, and then a bunch of other comedian friends uh, that he has on. Joe List, great, okay. hilarious comedian. If you don't know him, check him out. Okay. Check out all these people. I'm not going to say it every time, but Joe, Joe List is the guy I know the most. Uh, I've heard Joe yeah. List on one of the and he's very funny. Oh, yeah, Joe List. I like, as a fact, I really liked him because he, uh, he had the... Uh, at least on that show, he had a very straight man thing going on, <laughs> and I really, really appreciate it. Interesting. Yeah. On this show, he's like maybe, I mean, not everybody's funny, but he's yeah. like the jokiest, the Is zingiest. He? Okay, okay. Uh, there was some great, so check check out that episode, you guys. Uh, once you're done with who, who, this podcast. Who else was on it with you? Uh, Dan Soder. I love Dan Soder. Oh, you know why? Oh, I don't. Macho Man. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, yeah, he, he does. Anytime anybody says the word savage, he cannot help but. <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, it's so good. He's doing, he has tons of boys. I mean, he's, he is, uh, yeah, he's sort of a, a beast of comedy uh, and then uh, I was the other guest was Nathan McIntosh and then they also have uh, Louis Gomez and Kelly Pastuca are the other now, regulars I've there. heard of Louis Gomez now all of my or I'd say about 70% of my New York comedy knowledge is listening to Ron Fez oh that makes sense were on that sure and so I know about Louis J. Gomez Louis J. Is it Louis or Louis? I think he says Louis Louis okay. J. Gomez and um, it's, it's about his dark show oh sure oh yeah he does yeah. a comedy show in the dark have you done that? I have not done it though. I've uh, I've done other other. <laughs> I'm like I've done other shows, <laughs> and I've been in dark rooms. So I get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've read about people who ate at restaurants where it was in the dark. I think in a Chelsea Handler book once. Yeah. Uh, but no, I haven't. I haven't done it. I've done like other sort of. You know, like I don't want to say. I feel like the word gimmick is sort of a negative connotation. But like you know, that, that's a specific it is, it's a thing. It's a gimmick. Uh, and but yeah, I don't think it's it's a cool. It, it sounds like a cool thing. People have a fun time would doing you, so it. So I imagine you would do it then. Oh, I absolutely would do it. Like, I, here's the thing: I've done comedy. Like, I'm, I've done a naked comedy show. Seriously, oh, a bunch. Where, where, yeah. where, where, in Boston, where I started, uh, there was a comedian named Andy who uh, I think he still does it. Uh, certainly, years ago is I haven't done it for years. But is is it just the performer that's naked? Is the audience naked too? Uh, in general, like the audience is usually clothed. Okay. Though we did go on, sort of on the we brought the show on the road. We did a show at like for the Tufts Mountain Club once. Okay. They specifically asked us to come and they were mostly naked okay. college kids as our audience and they're so they're and sometimes he invites the audience to if you want to you can now when you played that show <laughs> I mean as a performer does the entire act then become about your own body or do, Not, you, or do you go away from that on purpose uh, when I would do like the reason that I started doing it was just because uh, a friend of mine had done it and said the audience was great it's you know like a very supportive environment as it would hopefully have to be right uh, nobody's coming there to heckle your genitals. You know? <laughs> I mean, and that is a big fear. Oh yeah, I mean, people are like uh, Andy. Andy's whole act at the beginning when he would he would host the show, and his whole act would be about the show and being naked and yeah. nakedness. And he had jokes from his own actual, you know, even when he was clothed, right. he would talk about nudity uh, and like the naturalist lifestyle. So he'd kind of take a lot of that out of the room. To the yeah, he, and he would you know make sure people knew to not take pictures and right. not you know respect everybody. And obviously, comedy's hard enough to get up here and be, you know, he's like emotionally naked. Right. And in addition to now, you're like, oh, is that what this is? Oh, no, this is literally 
Uh, so then most people, some people would come on and maybe make some some body jokes, but right. the the best part about it was just that it was a good audience for a comedy show. That's nice. That uh, you know, after a second or two, you know, you put on your sock in the morning and then you don't feel your sock the rest of the day. Right. So Same after thing. a while, you, you just take your forget. clothes off and then yeah, you're not like you're not deadly aware of it yeah, every time. You're, you're in your head thinking about the next thing you're going to say anyway, and you're yeah. dialing into the audience. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, something, I mean, if something didn't work, you could be like, oh, what well, were you just, uh, get distracted, everybody? You know, I'm up here. So, like, you, there'd be some, there was like, something more room to play with right, things right, like right, that. Right. Um, so you, you started in Boston. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're from originally? Grew up in New Jersey. Went up to Boston for a school. Okay. And then how long have you been doing comedy? Uh, I pursued music initially. And in uh, uh, what, what way did you pursue music? Uh, well, my parents were music teachers. Okay. And so I was playing the violin since I was four and didn't like it. Uh, and then taking classes every week, you know, every all Saturday was sort of like my, like my, it was basically like my religious teachings. You know, like my mom told me, she's like, you can go get a bar mitzvah if you want, but you definitely have to go to this music school. Wow. Uh, and I, so I learned theory because I had to. I played in orchestras. And I just got all this, you know, knowledge jammed into me. Right. Kind of against my will. Right. But then by high school, like, I, I just picked up a guitar and taught myself pretty easily. That after you know the violin. Right. The vi- if you know the violin, you know, if you play the violin for 10 years, you can probably pick up the guitar. Right. Uh, enough, ba- you know, basics. There's amazing guitarists who've worked mm-hmm. on the guitar their whole lives. It's also, of course, an art. But, you know, at the at the basis level, like, at least there's the basis level. You know, when you become a bassist, you know. Uh, yeah, you can easily do a bass. There's only four strings there. The guitar has extra strings, but it also has frets. So at least, right, so you know, a easier you don't have to put your finger in the exit. You can put it in you know, there, move it a little bit. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, where's either? Yeah. But uh, then I loved the guitar. I loved playing it. I loved learning it. Uh, and it didn't seem like work. I didn't right. have to do it. So I taught myself guitar. I started playing songs, started writing songs. Mm-hmm. And then I started, you know, playing them at summer camp. So, I mean, so this is this is yeah. in this is high school. Yeah, it's like age 15, okay. 16. Then into college, I was in a cappella group. I joined a chamber choir. Took some voice lessons, and I didn't I explicitly didn't study music. I didn't make it my major because I didn't want it to be a thing that had to be done. I didn't want it to be a job or an obligation. You enjoyed, yeah, so as just, much as possible. Exactly. Especially coming from having knowledge jammed into you from a very early age. Exactly. Like the summer camp that I went to was all about that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there for years and taught there. Like became a music counselor. And this, this is Jersey. This song. Uh, the summer camp was in Connecticut, okay. but everything else, Jersey, up till that point. And I just loved uh, the the, pol- the the policy or the philosophy of the camp was uh, sort of Montessori based. Okay. Like the owner, the founder, had studied with Maria Montessori, and the idea was that children like to be like to learn, but they don't like to be taught. Right. Like you tell somebody to do something, they're not going to want to do it. But if you like, you can do whatever, and then the kids will figure out what they want to do. So at the camp, there were no time slots. Like, you just go wherever and do whatever. You just had to do something. And so that's what it was like for me in college when I was like, I just want to do this music. I want to sing in these groups. And then I started playing guitar at, like, our coffee house on campus. And then go, when I get was old enough to get into bars, you know, out in the city, uh, in Boston, just finding... And at one of the places that I found, I was just like, I want to play anywhere I can. And I found a comedy club. Now, when you're playing, yeah. when you were playing at that time, are you playing your own music? You're playing other people's songs? Is it a mixture? Always pretty much my own. I mean, okay. yeah, when I when I played out... I don't. I mean, I know. I know. I know some other songs, but yeah. I, I've don't, never really performed a cover song other than my friend Mike F. Sherman and I, who put out. Uh, wait, we make music together. Com- comedy music mostly. Okay. We did a show once that was sort of a karaoke.
karaoke storytelling show nice. where most people tell a story and then sing a karaoke song. That's awesome. Connected to it. That's really cool. And when we came on, they were like, you can do whatever. You can play your own song. So we did a couple of our own songs instead of a story and then uh, linked that somehow to just we played an, uh, an Ani DeFranco song. Okay. And she was one of my favorites growing up. Was listening to, it was like, Ani DeFranco and They Might Be Giants oh. all through. Now, through I, I don't know if you, did we talk about They Might Be Giants? I don't know. That was my favorite band of all time. Oh, they, yeah, they, they were number one. Like, I feel like some kids at my camp listened to them, mm-hmm. and then when I heard, you know, the, the probably Flood was the first yeah, album yeah. that I heard, and you just, you know, it's got those iconic "They Might Be Giants" songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was actually just went to a nerdy okey, like a nerd karaoke night a couple nights ago. In there's a bar in Brooklyn called the Way Station. Okay. Like, every Sunday, it's just right. It's karaoke, but like the guy running it is dressed in you know like medieval clothing, oh, wow. and in the middle, in between songs, they play things like from Buffy and other you know. Nerd things, and then uh, some people here. It's you could do any song. So, so that I mean, I imagine like they, are they bringing a collection that's kind of uh, in that direction? Then I mean, I mean, yeah, definitely. Too? Most of the people there, like the, a couple people, did songs from Avenue Q. You okay. know, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a, a musical written by the guy who wrote uh, Book of Mormon with the South Park guys. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like a, it's a funny. It's a, it has puppets. I actually just saw it a few weeks ago for the first time because I'd wanted, I'd wanted to see it for a long time. And it's like it's sort of like at its time in its time like really sort of irreverent. How like, what, what year was this when it started? Uh, Avenue Q. I'm not sure when it started, but it's got to be like you know not not more than a decade or it's, it seems modern. Like there are jokes in it. That I think they update it all the time. So this but, is this karaoke place is that you know a classic karaoke where they're showing the words and all that. Oh yeah, so like, standard form of karaoke, but the bar and the venue and the people like the bar has a the, the bathroom is shaped like a TARDIS like. It's it's, uh, there's a Doctor Who nice, machine nice, for the bathroom. Nice. Uh, so I was there doing that. So like, I forget how I got into this. They might but, be giants. Oh yeah, they may be giants. Yeah, so people are doing more they I may be giant songs than ever. About going to karaoke. Actually, I did it once at this one bar in LA. They happened to have like a few songs for Flood, and it was my birthday, and I was so on this place. People were telling me they're like, oh yeah, they have everything. Yeah, they, they have might be giants. They have everything. They had like three songs. Of course. And, and then, but and what I realized, of course, after. I got there is that it wasn't so much that they had it. Um, I shouldn't have done it because it was just for me. Of course. You know what I mean? That's, I feel, I I think that way when I go to, I never do karaoke for yeah. other people. I mean, I'm sure the same thing with, with comedy or your music or, or any art. Like, it's both, there's this, you know, this sort of like Zen paradox, like dichotomy of who is it for, like, especially comedy where the goal is laughter. Right. Like, if you're doing things that you, you have to do what you want to do, you can't just be like, what are they going to laugh at? Right. If you're like, what do I come up with? What comes out of me? Right. But then you try it, and it's like, if it doesn't make people laugh, you're like, well, I guess that was the wrong thing that came out of me, right. or I got to make it, I got to get it out of me better or different. But uh, comedy seems to me to be something that's a little bit more for other people, in that you do have to, for it to be successful. You have to have garnered that reaction from them. I think that yeah, that's definitely it definitely is. I mean, it's it's not for just me. Right. It's not just for audience. It's for both. Uh, but I, like, I think it's it's sort of an equilibrium of a back and forth where when you're starting out, you don't know what to do, so you're going mostly off of audience reaction. Oh, that worked. Let me maybe do so more how, things how, like how that. Many, I'm sorry. How many years ago oh, have you been? Uh, 
so yeah, I started in college pursuing music, performed the first time in a comedy club at, in 1999, okay. but was mostly just doing music, okay. just get, trying to get my songs out there, right. and then I, and I would only perform every few months or something. Were your, did you ever put out any music? I did. Okay, under your name? Uh, they, I, I recorded an album, so 1999 started performing out in front of people for the most part. 2002 started doing comedy. Mm. Like started going to more comedy clubs, not carrying the guitar around all the time. What was that transition like? Uh, it was sort of gradual because like, I was at this comedy club, the Comedy Studio, okay. and it was this, this wonderful place. Now this is in Boston. Yep, uh, in, right across from Harvard in okay. Cambridge. And uh, Is that the school you went to? I did not. I went to Brandeis for my undergrad and then BU for grad school. Okay. So I was up there for about 12 years. And That's interesting. I, I was just talking to Blockhead earlier. Um, him and Aesop Rock met when they were both at BU. Oh, cool. But um, I met Baron Vaughn there. Oh, he was, okay. He was there. We I both started know. comedy around the same time. Nice. Uh, and I mean, there's tons of people doing comedy who were in the Boston scene, like where Joe List is a friend from there, okay. Shane Moss, okay. uh, like tons of Josh Gondelman, uh, Zach Sherwin. Oh, okay. I didn't know Zach was from yeah, Zach, Zach, Zach and Josh and I all went to Brandeis. I had no idea. Um... But yeah, so 2002 is when I say I started doing comedy, uh, and not. But up until that point, I'd been performing music in comedy clubs. But say I would have a seven-minute set, I would do you know a two-minute song, and then I would have another two-minute song ready to go for the end. But in the middle, I would you know talk for two or three minutes, uh, which now I would I didn't necessarily prepare jokes originally, but kind of riff and be in the moment, and didn't think of it as initially thought of it as talking until they stopped laughing, and then I would play another song. Okay, interesting. So there, you, you have you sound like you had very little fear then. I'm sorry, no, mm-hmm. then, then transitioning from doing music to doing straight stand up. I think that I def, I haven't I don't have a lot I haven't had a lot of fear in my life in general. Now why is that you think? Um, part of it is that my the guy that I sometimes do still make music with Micah Sherman and I have talked about this because he and I when we started working together came from very different places. Mm-hmm. Like he's a much he's a like his favorites growing up were like Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. Very he's a very physical, physical comedian. Yeah. He's into he was amazing in the moment like oh and I learned that I learned things from him which were great and he sort of we both sort of taught each other but he was like this you know big goofy guy and I was like the writerly you know like hmm let's be on this track you know and so it was a nice dichotomy and I remember his high school experience and mine were different and that's I don't think it's necessarily this simplistic that, but I say it sometimes on stage. We're like, "How are you so?" I mean, so is that a question that comes up about fear? A lot? Oh yeah, people okay. people ask. I mean, for comedians in general, like, "Hey, how do you go up there? Right. Uh, aren't you afraid of rejection?" And you know, are, are, and I'm like, "Well, what's the worst thing that happens?" Uh, a room full of people hates me, and then I never see them again. Right. Like compared that to high school, where a room full of people, a building full of people, and I saw them every day. You know, I see. And so it's not that I was, you know, picked on relentlessly. You know. I I think every, I think most people have some fear in high school. Of course. Because just as a teenager, your body's changing, your mind is changing, right. you, know, you, you try just to You don't in. know much of anything in right. general. You have to learn social rules and learn all these other things. And everybody else, like some of the, there's some nice people, but you're just, I'm, I was suspicious. I was right. like, who knows what's happening here? Yeah. The camp was sort of a very womb-like environment for me, right. full of outcasts and misfits and exiles and where we're like, oh, we're, we're all, we're all cool. Everybody's yeah. happy. You can be nice. We're, we like each other. And I eventually found that sort of seeped into the rest of my life, and that's when I learned to, you know, ultimately the only things that I'm quote-unquote afraid of are, you know, in comedy, if somebody's gonna try to physically assault me, like, that's, it's very rare, very rare for I mean, that, that, that has happened, it, 
uh, not to me, but I mean, it's certainly, I've seen videos of people getting like glasses chucked at them. Yeah. Uh, and so those are things where I'm pretty, like I actually, I was at a show, Zach Sherman's show at Tex in LA a month or two ago, and I was telling a joke, and I, I do ask the audience, like, hey, what do you think this thing would be? And a guy yells out a weird thing, and then I have a little weird interaction. Well, with I them. might need to hear a little bit more what the joke is. Okay. Or, or yeah, I mean, not that okay. I want you oh, to no. perform, no, but. No, no, no. I'll, mean, t- I'll tell you specifically, uh, it was a joke about looking up something online in the dictionary. Okay. Uh, the dictionary online had the word for the word meat. Okay. Uh, like M E E T or M E A T. M-E-A-T. Like meat, and they had antonyms. This is a very uh, not leaving out all the wise. Right, right, right. Words, but in the, it, I thought it was funny that there was there were like near antonyms for meat, and I, I it was actually funny. What it, I was like, hey, do you guys know what do you think the opposite of meat is? Right. And the actual answer is like uh, poison. Is what it and it was, I was like, that's you know, meat makes you alive, poison makes you dead. I get it. Right? So that's part of the joke, but so part of it is just asking people because it's ridiculous. Like, what do you? What is the opposite? People are like, I don't know, water, milk, air. No, I was thinking something poultry, yeah, like, fish, like, yeah, right. fur. Like there's so much. Like it's and it's fun to, because sometimes people say things that I've never heard or thought of. And this, so but this voice from the darkness came out. I was like, what do you think the opposite of meat is? And he yelled out, Jew. Like in a, in a weird voice. And I was like, I sort of tried to address like what is happening here. Like it sounded aggressive. Because normally when somebody yells Jew, it is aggressive. Yeah, it's I not don't like, know if there's a nice way to say that. You know what I, mean? I mean, unless I was like, I'm Jewish, and people are like, Jew! But that but, clearly wasn't what happened. But after the show, the guy came up to me, and he was like this big dude, but he was like, I am Jew. He's, he was Israeli. He was So he was trying to be weirdly supportive, but okay. it didn't make sense. So I was like trying to understand what he was saying. lost in translation kind of thing, almost. And then, but so then he kept trying to, and I was like, but, you know, ultimately, uh, it, after that point in the show, he kept yelling things out. He felt like I maybe I'd open that door, right. which can be unfortunate. But he yelled things out sort of through everybody else's things. And so I was like, oh, just, you know, for, for future reference, don't do that. Yeah. And he's like, no, I was just. And so he just kind of didn't get it. So, I mean, but is, is that a typical heckling situation? That can definitely happen. Uh, I mean, it sort of, it depends. There's most, most of the time heckling is either just somebody talking loudly or they're drunk. Or if you ignore it, it'll probably go away. It doesn't happen that frequently. Are you confrontational when it comes to hecklers? Do no, you stamp them down? Or? I don't. I mean, I, ideal, the ideal situation is to not have one. But if right. in the ideal situation where a heckler happens is it's, number one, a place where they police the room and they go, right. like, hey, you know, don't do that. Or, the people or we kinda, remove you. Right. Or, but if I, you know, I'll definitely address people. I'll try to just ask them why they're saying what they're saying. And often people will then shut down after that. Right. Be like, they'll yell something like, hey, why did you say that? I'm just curious. Like, I don't really understand what you said. Or... Uh, and if it if it slows the grind if it grinds the wheels to a halt then and I'm like hey you did this you right. know like I was fine to say or this is a thing that happened once a guy yelled at me uh, it was like a sort of a, a, very, a thirty people private party for like a holiday office thing like at a comedy club in this small room and it was going fine and but you know they all know each other so they're kind of joking with each other and it's a weird situation for a show but it's going fine and a guy like responds to something in a funny way but I then I do like say something that sort of shuts him down, like, you know, puts him in his place. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in a way that we all enjoy. And then he says, hey, that was, uh, you're, you're welcome. Like, I gave you, I made that happen. Wow. Which is the attitude that a, that a heckler will have a lot. And sometimes, 
sometimes in in rare situations they're right. Like Patrice O'Neill, famous. I think the story is that he started comedy by being a heckler. Did like, he really? He was okay. heckling somebody, and they were just like, "Hey, you should do this." And he's right. like, "Yeah, you're right. I should." Like sometimes a heckler is funny, and if a heckler says a funny thing, I'll be like, "You did a great. Like that was funny. Now, but you're also doing the wrong thing. Like, so right. don't do it again. Good work there. But uh, <laughs> I'll thank you. I'll take that. I'll say that to other people. But please don't anymore. Yeah. But so this guy, he was like, "Yeah, hey, I helped you." And I was like, "You know, I would. I'm up here for 20 minutes, and I would have been saying." funny things the whole time whether or not you said anything like maybe I said that specific thing because you threw it at me but if you hadn't it wouldn't have been like silence for 30 seconds right. I would have still been doing the job or the art or whatever so but so this guy ultimately that, that Israeli guy the point of that story is that he did get like physically confrontational when I and I didn't really back I'm like we're in public in a bar uh, and like Zach is actually behind him he's like stop talking to him because yeah. he's like ultimately he was like I was in the Israeli army like I fought for you I'm like I don't think that you actually I mean thank you but not I mean not me exactly, exactly and right. he was like and then he sort of turned when he when he was like I feel like you don't like me like don't come downtown or I'll I'll remember your face wow and I was like okay now this, man. Is, this is all this is all the post show conversation yes okay and so at, at a certain point I was just he was like I was like well do we we don't have to be talking anymore right and he's like so walk away I'm like okay you I mean you walked up to me right he's like yeah now you walk away I was like okay man like I'm not gonna he was much bigger than me yeah, and yeah. I don't like fi- I wouldn't fight a person my size like right. I'm, I don't think fighting is the answer yeah, most yeah. of the time I'm like hey Israeli army like <laughs> if you wanna you know settle that like maybe that's part don't settle down that's sort of part of the problem there as well right. the settle settlement down <laughs> uh, so gotta be careful with the language right. uh, but yeah so that was a thing where I mean if I pushed it he right. probably would have punched me right. and so that's the thing that I try to avoid so I mean but have you ever so you've if that's never actually happened, though. No, that's that might be like the closest, you know. Other than like, like fights on the school ground, on the right. you know the like childhood stuff. Yeah, n- very limited as well. Now, like, did you find that you felt? And I, and maybe you might have said this, but I want to ask you again specifically: mm-hmm. when you were in high school or grade school, did you do you remember feeling fear then? In not in grade school because I went to a small private school for my first several years of of life, where all the kids were we were basically friends. Everybody from kindergarten, and there was no real, no real X factor, no real danger, no was, unknowns. Right. It was just sort of like a, a, a peaceful environment. Right. Everybody then, felt safe. Yeah, there was no def- outside. Definitely. Right. Yeah. And then in eighth grade, I moved. My parents moved, and so now it's like a hundred kids I didn't know in high school. Like two hundred kids in my grade, eight hundred kids in the school, and like I wasn't. I didn't. I definitely didn't fear for my life, you know. But there were definitely times like there was a thing that the the upperclassmen did, if that's what we call them. Then I remember this one big kid named Greg. Like I mean, he seemed like a massive. When I was in eighth grade, there were people who were like six feet tall, and I'm like you know four feet tall, and I'm like, how, why are there grown ups here? Like it's, you know, kids hit puberty before I did. Or uh, but this one, I remember they would make these kids go quote unquote swimming. I'd heard about it, and I didn't know what it was exactly. But it, and now that I know, I'm like, oh, that would have been fun if I if everybody was in on it. But there were like these, uh, the classrooms had these sort of windows at the top where like, you know, it was mostly wall, but yeah. like, you know, a foot of window at Just the top of the Just for some daylight to come in. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and into the hall as well. Okay. So if you were in 
the hall, sometimes they would grab a kid, a small kid, and like hoist him up and be like, swim, and then you would look like you were swimming across, across that window the, yeah, okay. at the top of the classroom, and so the people inside would see it, and that would be fun and right. funny, but like I didn't know that's what it was, right. so I just knew that some kids were like trying to grab me to do that, or to do whatever, and I was like, eh, and so I like ran away from them. There were just like three bullies, right. three bully-ish people. Can you remember maybe... And I know you were saying in high school, right, mm-hmm. it was building full of people who you felt like hated you every day that you saw every day. Yes. And that, that has something to do with how you've been able to overcome fear today. Oh, yeah, because ultimately, I mean, now I know that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in danger. That right. fear was not unwarranted. You know, I was feeling those emotions. They're legitimate. Every So many people have felt that sort of thing. So it was maybe, like, so after the fact, were you kind of like, well, I just, I want to, I want to kind of get a sense of when you kind of realize that. Sort of, it was sort of gradually, like, while, so school is happening, yeah. and I'm sort of, you know, keeping to myself, cautious, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't, because I don't, I don't have all the social skills. Right. I don't know how to, you know, accept kindness from, like, you know, this girl, Lee, was super friendly to me. She was, like, a pretty girl and a nice girl. Yeah. Like, and I, and so we were, I guess, friends, and, but, you know, we didn't hang out after school, but she was just, like, nice to me in our classes. She would hold the door open. You know, it was just, like, reasonable things. Mm -hmm. But I was, like, and today I would be, like, oh, you should be, like, hey, we should, like, hang out. We should talk more. Uh, It was just friendly. Right. Uh, But I didn't reach out to, like, become friends. Like, now I'm a big advocate of, like, in comedy, even in comedy, like, you do comedy with people. And you know them a little bit. You're out at bars with them. You're out at shows with them. But then sometimes I'll just be, like, we should hang, like, we should get dinner. We should go out during the day. We should go to a movie. We should do something that's would not you, work. Would you call yourself an extrovert? Now I would. I would, I, but in high school I was not. Right. I was absolutely an introvert. So then. at some point, you transformed from an introvert to an extrovert. It was my, my summer camp was like the main ingredient uh, right. that because we were all there in this, in, in this like sort of womb-like environment of this creative place, like, I mean, that was the amazing thing. They have like glass blowing. They have a recording studio. Now they have, uh, you know, you can develop photos. You can do any, you know, performing or creative art pretty much and so those things were there but that was even secondary to me like the experience that I got from it was just this social blossoming right. that I like learned how to, that other people could be nice and they could like you and so was how soon were you able to take those skills outside of that womb though and try them out in different by so I started there when I was 11 and then around 13 or 14 is when I started really having a, a good core group of friends at the summer camp and so like right at the beginning of high school but then that didn't it didn't really seep into high school life until senior year I think I like I kissed my first girl the summer before senior year mm-hmm. like I was like 16 almost 17 and I kissed a couple girls that summer like sort of had a girlfriend or two you know for a few days a few weeks right. whatever it was where at summer camp the the days feel the day is like a month yeah exactly a month passes in a day was right. like the thing we said uh, and it really seemed like that. And so then I got back to high school and I felt, you know, I was more confident. Like with, like in comedy, you have a good show, you're like, oh, right. I, at least somebody thinks I'm good at this. Somebody is attracted to the thing that I do or am. And so we- senior year, I had a group of friends that were like, you know, the other sort of, you know, quiet, smart kids, you right. know, in the the kids in my AP classes. Right, right, right. Like right, we, right. I ate lunch with them instead of alone. Right. I got a girlfriend that year mm-hmm. and had her pretty much, you know, the whole, the whole year I had this girlfriend. Yeah. And then... 
Then college, it sort of like completely let loose. Like right. I got there and it's sort of you know just starting over. Like and probably maybe even like too much, like above and beyond, like to the but point you, of being annoying. Kind of benefited from having the, uh, the slate clean anyway from that point, being able to just decide who you're going to be at that point going forward. Yeah, it was like you know you know when you you ever done this thing where you stand in a doorway and you push your arm your wrists against the door and I have yes and you do that for a minute and then you step out and then your arms float like you without even moving. Um, and that was like high school was like the door frame okay. and then at college like you're not in the door anymore and you're right. just, just floating free and I was like I remember my freshman year like I got there and I'm like this is exciting like I met my roommate and then I just like sort of ran down the hall like every, <laughs> every open door I'm like hey it's oh, like me wow. hey <laughs> that was like where it's sort of like you know an elastic sort of being held back and then just being let go into the into the world and so never really any danger situations even then. I remember one time in, in college uh, I was on a train, a crowded train in Boston with some friends mm-hmm. and I was, I guess I was talking loudly uh, is my guess. I guess I can do that. Or <laughs> I my, guess you do that professionally. Yeah, my voice, yeah. I, I project uh, a grating voice to some, you know, and I it was, this is a thing that happened. Somebody like across, I, somebody got my attention. Like one of my friends was like, hey, that guy, that guy's trying to gesture to you to get your attention. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what is it? And this guy was just like, shut up. Like really like aggressive. And me, like I wasn't the only person talking. Like there was noise. It was a train, right. a crowded, packed train. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, so now I definitely don't try to overextend myself. Like, you know, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, they could be a crazy person. Right. They could have a gun. Like I try, the car is, the only place this is the place where I'm least zen. Well, that's it. That's you got to have a certain cautious caution in traffic in general. Yes. <laughs> it helps. But and so here's the, the thing. Now I think is that because of that sort of training, even though it wasn't even real, that that fear that I experienced, like I was like, oh, like I don't have to have that fear. I don't have to be afraid of that of social situations. Like I've had the worst, and now everything is potentially better. So with comedy, I'm like, oh yeah, if I basically I'm and this goes back to the idea of the you know the artist as you know who is it for I'm like here's what I'm doing and here it is do you like it like and now there's you know everybody has a different audience let's see my question would be then because you were saying like okay you have a good show you feel confident is there do you not internalize a bad show or is there there things you do to keep you from internalizing what a bad show can 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 feel like the badge, every badge, like I had a, I had a show last night at a, uh, I had one show at a comedy club that went great, mm-hmm. and I had one show in like a tiny bar, like a, like, along the bar, like the bar is the only thing there, and like 12 people could fit at right, the bar, right. and maybe another dozen people, you know, it would be packed with two dozen people, right? and there were probably like a dozen people in the bar, and I just, I actually, I just did mushrooms yesterday. Uh, Lovely, we might have to talk about that later. Sure thing, uh, with my girlfriend. <laughs> nice. For the first, it was her third time doing them, and our first time doing them together and uh, we had a we had this really intense and like beautiful day in the park yes like some occasional you know some dips yeah. but mostly a really positive thing and like whenever I'm on whenever I do mushrooms I keep my recorder on me That's and nice. I record oh, ideas. you know 60 things nice and then I, what I like to do ideally you know sort of trip during the day and then if I have a show at night where I'm comfortable being like hey I did mushrooms some, earlier here are some things I learned nice. you know some thoughts I had and I shared them and some of them went great and then some of them it was you know, a small crowd, and or maybe some of the, maybe some of my epiphanies weren't that you know amazing, <laughs> or maybe they were more epiphanies than right. jokes. Yeah. Uh, but 
ultimately, when, a, when I have a quote-unquote bad show, when I, when I have a, a, a less receptive audience... Well, you know what? Yeah. Hold on. It, it almost sounds like you don't even believe there's a such thing as a bad show now. I almost hear a little sense of oh, maybe it just doesn't matter. No, oh. it, it absolutely doesn't matter. I don't... I mean, certainly they happen. Like, there, okay. are, there are shows that I'm like, you know, oh, if I perform at, like, I don't know if you know the show Whiplash. I've heard of it, but I'm not sure what it is exactly. It is UCB uh, in Chelsea, the Everett Citizens Brigade yeah. in New York City, every Monday night at 11. It is a, in a, one of the best shows in town. It's free. Check it out whenever you can. Okay. Uh, like it just—it's packed, and the the ho- Leo Allen is usually the host, and when he's out of town, they get a great guest host. Okay. And then just other people that have dropped in that I've seen, like Louis C.K. has been there, Paul Tompkins, like Patton Oswalt, Maria Bamford, like and then but regularly it'll just be like four or five people, just like some of the best comedians in New York City yeah. for some of the audiences that are expecting the best people. About how many times have you done it? I do it probably every every few months. Nice. So uh, depending, like usually when I have a TV show a TV set coming up like I did Seth Meyers recently and so it was fortunate the guy the guy who books it was like hey do you want to do the show on like you know this date and I was like oh I'm actually doing Seth Meyers a few days after that it'll be great to Work run out my set that. there right. like just to get make sure you know because there that's an amazing show and so for those shows it's wonderful because you can you know riff and improv and find new things right. but and if something doesn't work then you're like oh well, well there's definitely nothing to that <laughs> and then the flip side is true of a bad show where even at, at this bar show I'm like oh this joke made one person laugh this joke made zero people laugh this joke made everybody laugh in a set where everybody only laughed like three times right. like six people laughed once twelve people laughed three times one people one person laughed and so that's sometimes the most useful thing that like it's now, just the experience of being able to workshop the jokes and see what works and what doesn't so of course so so it's like role playing game experience points from the battle mean yes. more than just about anything yeah like I honestly I mean it's much more fun to perform at Whiplash right. an amazing you know amazing show with an amazing audience performing jokes that I know will do well or don't but this possibly more valuable experience of now this one joke about tell this little girl uh, doing karate that everybody laughed at I'm like I'm the most excited about this joke because it worked at a bad show right uh, and so I like if nothing worked then it's almost mm, it's almost you know, it almost never at this point yeah. you're so you're, 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 your craft is so honed it is almost you never strike out right and even if I did like it's just well then that you learn those things not to do or right. in that situation so like I here's my my philosophy about like some people say like you know look at YouTube comments or something like you know you could have a, a thing that has a million a million hits and then of the hundred comments like 90 of them could be bad right. and you're like well that's because negative people are more likely to tell to you say what they think right. and so some people are like don't look at any comments don't look at negative don't look at positive like if you look at they're like if you look at the negative you gotta look at the positive right. and I actually don't believe that I believe I mean look at everything but weight the positive more like if you find a penny on the ground and be like oh it's heads up a heads up penny that's good luck if you find a penny heads down like hey it's still a penny you know right. like why believe in bad luck I right, believe right, in right, good right. like why not put more weight on the positive especially because like with comedy or with rap or with any art like nothing's for everybody right like so if somebody who sees it that 
it isn't for, doesn't like it, then who cares? Right. But the people that do like it, that's who it matters for. Like, on my, my new Netflix special, like, I look at the, like, there's, you know, some number of reviews, a lot of five-star reviews, and then a few one-star reviews, mm-hmm. and not a ton of reviews in the middle. It's either people are, like, Loved really it. into it, or they're just like, didn't this like even, this at all. I don't, like, what do you, my favorite one, I've been saying this on stage, too, there was a one-star review that says something, based, I want to get the exact wording, but it's, here's paraphrasing it. His jokes might be good, but he just talks too fast. I'm dumb. Like, <laughs> his review of my special was that he his, was dumb. A rating of his own intelligence. Yeah. Wow. I was like, please slow down because I'm dumb. <laughs> uh, and so I definitely like. And I don't want to say also that like not that not to say that everything I say and think is a, an amazing joke. Like there are certainly times, like I said, like sometimes you perform in front of a great audience, you say a thing like, oh, this joke is quote unquote better than this one or they liked it more or I liked it more like but I always go back to or always sometimes in have you watched the movie Comedian uh, which Jerry one? Seinfeld's documentary you know I don't think I have actually it's, it's great okay. and is a, that on Netflix I, I don't know if it is okay. but it's, it's a great movie if you like comedy I do especially it's not necessarily funny all the time but like you know he interacts with like Colin Quinn and like and he talks to other friends and about the craft about yeah and his creation of his like it's basically when he retired his act and then started from scratch mm. and one of the bonus features my favorite part where he's just talking about a joke that like he's like some jokes you want to work and they don't right. but you're, you you're try, you try so yeah, yeah you're, I'm gonna make this work and then uh, sure sure uh, and then we're ordering more drinks yeah we are I, t- uh, I tried to do it silently <laughs> but Mike wouldn't let me I said sure sure and people wouldn't have understood why I said that sure sure the thing I'm gonna say because yeah. we're um, we're beginning to binge drink in the daytime that's why <laughs> And, but and so he's like some of those jokes you just you're like he, the way his analogy is something like one more one yes one please thank you thank you sir sure. uh, that was just us talking to each other nobody else involved uh, there was no waiter. <laughs> The, he compares it to like he's like you're a mama bird trying to teach your baby to fly you're like come on like and he's like you're just, he's like you get in a chicken suit and you're like look this is how you be a joke this is how it works and you're like, fly come on come on come on that and sounds then, a great image this is how you be a joke and he, he juxtaposes that against he's like the idea you have that you don't even care about that just all of a sudden everybody loves it just comes out full formed it's like I can fly I'm a joke right and you're like it's so weird because sometimes you're like you don't even know why you, a thing you said once I, I I have I have a very similar experience with that with songs because uh, I mean honestly every song I make I think is just about equally awesome. Great. Honestly, you know what I mean. That's like what Stephen Wright feels about jokes. He said like I'll try a joke three times. If it works three times, I'll keep it. If it doesn't, I won't. I don't think it's not funny, but I just feel like they didn't agree with me. Right. Exactly. You love the songs that you make. Exactly. And I, and, and the point of me saying that is I never know when I make it which song is like the song everybody's like oh that's the best song. I'm yeah, like, I have uh, no idea. That's really and the same thing happens with jokes. But here's a an interesting dichotomy of music versus comedy. Like I was more the, the reason that I was maybe more confident getting into comedy is because music is easier in a way in this way that 
if you perform, I remember Baron Vaughn first saw me performing at the, the Barnes Noble Cafe in Kenmore Square in Boston. And like, you play a song, even if people aren't really listening, like at the end of it, they'll clap. Mm-hmm. You get the response. Right. Like, and obviously, you know, you know when people are engaged, right. and it's, you can get different things out of it, but at the end of a joke, if it's not funny, they, they don't, won't no, laugh. there's no courtesy laughing. Right. Like, you know for sure if people are faking or if they are into it. Uh, and so I started, and people have, some people would say that, like, using a guitar in comedy can be a crutch. And it can be. Like, anything can be a crutch. Right. Swearing can be a crutch. doesn't have to be. Right. Music can be. doesn't have to be. Like, there's, obviously, music can be a beautiful art form. Like, Reggie Watts is a, knows me. He's like, exactly. Reggie, I think use, like, if Reggie doesn't use his music, which he doesn't sometimes, I'm like, that's dis- not disappointing, but I'm just like, he's amazing no matter what. Exactly. But he's not using music as a crutch. Like, right. he's using it to fly. He's brilliant. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. And but so definitely when I started, like I would have some song. I was a you know a musician for many more years when I was a comedian for zero years, and uh, and so I actually did put out like an album one year into doing comedy full time or not even full time like after I started right. one year of like open micing yeah. and I put out an album of half songs and half jokes and the songs were good they were done they were ready to go and that's I feel the same way as you do about songs I'm like oh I know when a song is done I know how it works right like. This is this is a song. Like you might not like it, but I'm like this is the song. Right. Whereas like a joke is always sort of being honed and so it's always living. Yeah, and I I mean you have an idea of like oh this is this is a funny thing. Like right now, one of the things that I said on stage last night that didn't get all the reaction I got, but my it was Father's Day. uh, My girlfriend and I went to my dad's house, and there was like a barbecue gathering, and this thing happened, and I laughed so much about it with my girlfriend, and we're like there's so there's no way this isn't funny. Like, people, ha- I have to figure out how to make it funny to people. But it was just this three-year-old girl, like, grit, like came running out of the house onto the patio. We're all, like, you know, eight adults on the patio. This little girl comes running out with her sister's shoes, like flip-flops or something, and just hurls them over the balcony, <laughs> over over the railing. And then her sister comes out, and she's like, what? She took my shoes. And then the little, the three-year-old is just like, it was an accident. <laughs> and we're, I was just like, my mind is... Bo- I mean, she's a three-year-old, of right, course. Right. Like, I'm imagining an adult doing it. Just being like, it was an... A-. I'm like, there's no... There's eight of us looking at you. Throw them. Like, do you not remember three seconds ago? Like, the balls to lie... Like, you're to my face. And a- do you... you Clearly, you know what an accident is if you're trying to pass it off. Trying to use this you, as an excuse. You know yes. what the word means. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm, do- I'm saying... Trying to do... I think I said it like this on stage last night. And you know, like, one... A, a few chuckles here. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, an accident. Right? Like, this is my song. This is a song. But I'm like, I have to figure out how to play it right. Yeah. You know, and that, that's something that I've always encountered too. And it's really interesting because uh, I've learned that there's a very, there's different techniques that I have to use in the studio to get a quality recording than to use on stage and get a quality performance mm. of a song. And so a lot of times I'll have a song that's really good and people really like, but it, it can take a long time to learn how to perform it in a way that makes it effective for oh, yeah. people who haven't heard it yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, hip-hop, most albums are studio albums. Right. Like, there's not a ton of live hip-hop albums. No, there's only a few. A, a really, a really short list. <laughs> and I mean, I love I love hip-hop. I love listening to hip-hop. Yeah. I don't go to a lot of hip-hop shows. Yeah. Because also, I mean, sometimes when I, I went to, you know, Watsky? Yeah, I know Watsky. Uh, like, I've, uh, I love him. Yeah. And I love, it. I love his videos. I love his songs. I've seen him live a couple times and like seeing him live like sometimes it's hard 
to hear. He, like sometimes I want I want the video with right. the words there. Sometimes right. I want to just be able to rewind and listen. I mean, he's a guy who talks real fast. Yeah, he, yeah, he's super quick. I mean, the energy at a live performance is amazing, and I'm sure like not to say it's more for him than for me, but like he's certainly having a better time doing the show right. than I am. Watch, I'm I'm having a good time, like, and I love it. Well, and that's what I mean though, like because the type of elocution with those as as quick as he what we call chops mm-hmm. uh, as quick as he chops while he's rapping the elocution that you would use in the studio is different than what you would use in performance I know a lot of guys who who can chop and like I said it's what we call chopping sure. who can who can chop and part of it is people just enjoy hearing that somebody can do something that quickly vocally. of course it's a virtuosity thing like yes. somebody playing the violin absolutely but the next level is you're doing it that quick what are you saying it's yeah. audible yeah you know what I mean what, yeah and then that's a whole nother level but it's like that the, as a performer you have to understand that it's a different <laughs> set of skills that you have to use to because you have to elocute that quickly while projecting you know what I mean while understanding what you may be competing with frequency wise the in the music of the room exactly yeah. and he's now I mean he's been touring with like a band yeah, like a 10 piece like you know a bunch of people which is a, which is really cool mm-hmm. uh, I mean but he also came from a place where he would do you know like deaf poetry jams right. you know or slams or whatever it is uh, jams and slams why not right. jams, poetry, jams. hams uh, yeah deaf poetry hams uh, yeah, come up uh, no juice so uh, but I remember yeah like it's it's an it's an art form that like I mean obviously it's, it's different things like live performance is totally different I mean and comedy is a thing where it's sort of the op- I mean comedy live is usually better than comedy recorded though there are some amazing comedy recordings too but it's just the kind of thing where it's very different like if you listen to Norm Macdonald stand up right it is so different than his recorded stuff mm-hmm. and I think I mean I and I appreciate them both very much but it's a completely different set of muscles and uh, I know I I know for sure a lot of rappers don't look at things that way and that's why a lot of rap shows can be kind of not fulfilling but uh yeah, I mean, I, I do try to um, try to do that because I found that it works. I mean, the one thing that pisses me off about that, though, like it really starting to get up my ass lately because it's happening more often. It's because mm-hmm. and it's because I've been making a, uh, an, a you know an effort to make the live song sound as good as they can. Is that let's say I'll do a live YouTube video of performing a song, oh, sure. and I'll have a comment that says, uh, "This is better than the recorded version." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't listen to people say things ever. That's well, well, unless they say it a lot, though. Oh, and then yeah. you're like, oh, maybe this that means something. That's maybe that's something I should pay attention to. That's a fair question. You I know? mean, I mean, but also you gotta. It has to be people that you respect. You know, that's true. I mean, the masses aren't always right. Of course, like of course. I mean, you know, my Netflix special. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll say sometimes it's like. People, like, I'll come out and say, like, people, are like, oh, you can see this guy's Netflix special. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people have been really enjoying it and, like, commenting and saying nice things about it. And also, some other people have been seeing it. You know, like, <laughs> like and, you know, somebody like, you know, Paul Barman, right. our, our mutual friend, uh, like, he watched it or listened to it and, like, put a put a comment on iTunes and he told me, he's like, hey, this is my comment. It was, like, the most thoughtful thing. And, like, I'm like, he's a guy who's, like, his brain is amazing. Like, yeah. I care much more about what he thinks than somebody I don't know. Right. Like anybody, almost anybody I don't know. I'm like this guy is my friend and an amazing and artist and a smart person. Like Confucius said something. I, it was either Confucius or somebody like that, or Socrates, like that. You don't want to 
be liked by everybody. Like, if, you, if you're liked by everybody, not to say you're doing something wrong, it's like you want to be liked by the people whose liking means something, right. by the people whose opinions are valuable that, you know, like, you know, the, if you read like Malcolm Gladwell, he's a like, little bit, you, yeah. You have, you, know, you put in enough time to become an expert and your your impressions then, you know, if, you're, if you've learned a lot about art criticism, if you've, if you've studied, the more you study art the, or painting or whatever, the more you can look at a painting and know more stuff about it than somebody who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so you're a, like there's, you know, in Blink, like it's about first impressions yeah. and there's like all these art, art critics and art experts would see this painting and they're like, there's something off about it. And then they found out later it was a forgery. They're right. like, oh, they're... Because they were trained and yeah, they knew. Their, their brain muscles about art right. were like that. So if, you know, Paul does, you know, we don't do the exact same thing, but, you know, our brains do word things. Right, right, like, right, right. right. We, all, we all come from, you know, I feel like hip-hop and comedy mm-hmm. are all about, so much of it is about words. Right. And so somebody who's trained in words, like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be, like, elitist about it. just like... Well, you know what? I mean, and my thing, even with that comment that, I, that I've seen, it's not so much that somebody said it, but that, like, a few people said it. Sure. You know what I mean? And that's something where, like, I don't want to be so stubborn that I don't uh, take into account something that seems to be reoccurring in some sense from disparate people. Oh, that, you know? that makes sense. I mean, and here's the, I don't know the exact song or that you're, or video that you're referring to, but here's just off the top of my head, like, if it's a recorded song audio versus a, a live performance video, like, some people are more video than uh, than audio. Yeah, true. You know, some people, like, like, maybe, and obviously you perform it differently I do, when and you that, know and you're being vid- video. Well, you know, but, but really what it gets to is the fact that I perform it differently because I learned how to perform it live, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. and the way that I perform it live, I never would, I wouldn't, even if I knew that that was how to do it live, I wouldn't have done it that way in the studio. Right. Because the quality of my voice that you might think that's better. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when I'm hitting this this kind of weird falsetto that kind of works, it, I think it works more live because you kind of see me putting more of myself into it. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. But um, in the studio, it's just, it's, it's not... It's not the kind of thing that you would you would if you if you were polishing a song you wouldn't keep it that way. It's funny. So for my so my my music recording history. Uh-huh. So I did I put out this one album that is not representative of my comedy mm-hmm. anymore, but I do stand by the songs. I called it Open Mic Night mm-hmm. uh, from you know like 2003 probably like a year after I really started doing comedy, but m- many years into my musical leanings. Uh, but then Micah Sherman and I put out a comedy album, a comedy music album, a couple years ago called "Please Be Seated," mm-hmm. and most of it's live. Most we recorded a couple live shows because some of the songs, it's all it's comedy. Right. It's like we want the audience reaction for a lot of it. But then we put four studio tracks, okay. mostly songs that had some combination of didn't usually get a great audience reaction, but we're like, but these are good. good we songs. like these right. songs. We like the songs. Like, uh, but also some of them were just like too difficult to nail like completely right. like we didn't have confidence I, you know we only had a certain amount of time right. on the shows we were doing like let's not let's not dilly dally trying to yeah. make fit in songs that we think are good but we don't that don't necessarily yeah. let's do this one in the studio right. and nail it and have a couple mm-hmm. studio versions mm-hmm. on it and then but it's, so it's, it's funny because like that's I'm coming from a, it's more of a comedy perspective whereas like you know, Zach Sherwin you know good friend of mine yeah. his first album that he put out on Comedy Central Records I think it's almost all studio 
studio tracks, you know, it's hip-hop done the way that he wants to do it, and I think he has two live tracks on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like the reverse of, of what we did. Right. Because, like, you know, hip-hop is, I think, you know, as far as we know, able to be perfected right. in the studio. Right. And it's hard to capture it live. You know, it's really difficult, I think, to capture it live. But, um... How, okay, we're, we're getting about the fifty-two minute mark. I wanna, I wanna close around. A, you know, I wanna get back to the fear thing just for a moment. But um, sure. What? So you're you're pretty successful uh, with stand up. I mean, and it's, you know, of course that's a relative term. Sure. But I'm making. I've been making my living. Right. And, uh, and, and I've I've been go seeing you. Time. I've been yeah. seeing you on all the things that I enjoy seeing people on. I mean, seeing Netflix, seeing At Midnight, which you're really great oh, on. thank Hearing you. Hearing you on Ron and Fed, which is like my favorite show. Sure. It's like, oh, he's great. He's doing well on all these things. So it looks like, okay, things are going well, right? Sure. So, but ultimately, though, like, where do you want to, I mean, are you doing what you want to do ultimately now? Or is there some other level or some other way that you want to develop your career? Or what do you, what do you, what do you see? It's funny, my girlfriend going? asked me that this morning. Mm-hmm. And my answer you normally is like number one where I am is you know miles ahead of where I've been right and that's you know the goal initially was to become a full-time comedian which you've done years ago I imagine uh, about yeah around I moved to New York in about 2008 right. and that was around when I didn't have any other jobs right. so started in 2002 about six years later mm-hmm. fully not doing anything else and at any point I'm like you know I could if, if I have a uh, have some savings you know but I'm always like if if the society collapses if China takes over if you know anything I, I'm not like well I'm definitely not gonna have any other job forever <laughs> right. I hope that's my hope my, right. my, that's my number and one let me say goal. likewise yeah. you know what I mean like it's, it's happening right now yeah fortunate right. enough to get to do it if things get hard there's yeah. no telling you know what I mean but like right now you know I know what I'm doing for the next couple weeks Right. I, I have some shows booked through the next couple months but you know as, as the months get further into the, down the line like some people might know what they're doing for the next six months right. I don't Right. I, so that's sort of like you know my if I have a goal like a, a reasonable future goal is to be like oh, I'd love for my schedule to be filled you know more than three months in advance. Right. Uh, I'm fine with it being filled you know three months. I like I'm happy. I'm confident. Like it's been working thus far. Like if I could, if somebody could guarantee that my career just stayed where it's been for the past couple of years, like I've made enough money. I've made more money than I've spent. Right. Like I don't need more. I've I've been feeding myself. I've been paying the rent. I've been enjoying, you know, consuming well, what I want. Well, I'm not sure if you were finished answering that or not. No, but uh, but I'm happy to entertain whatever you're going to say. Well, I'm wondering, okay, I know for a lot of stand-ups, it's a goal to be on television in some sense, to be maybe writing or... or sure. You know, I mean, so do you have any of those types of... I mean, I don't know. You might be yeah. doing that now, as far as I know. I mean... I mostly... I mean, my main, my main desire and goal is to do stand-up, which is what I have control over as much as possible. Like, you know, if my if, if clubs don't if some clubs don't want me to go there, I'll I can call up another place and say, like, hey, can I come there? You know, like uh, every uh, last August, Zach Sherman and I went on a like a tour that we just set up ourselves that nice. we jokingly initially called the Break Even Tour, right. the Break Even Comedy no, Tour. I've, I've definitely been on tours that could have been called that. And you know, we <laughs> we brought our you know we brought our CDs. We so we I, you know we definitely we did more than Break Even. You did okay, yeah, of course. You, you did you probably did okay. But they're definitely like you know when my when my booking agent books me on a thing, he's like, you're gonna get this much money for these three days, which is, you know, more than we got for any specific three days right. of that tour, 
but and I'm like I feel fortunate that I don't have to do that all the time and some people do or maybe some people love doing that all the time like Doug Stanhope doesn't have an agent he, just, he doesn't? Uh, no I, he has a manager that like a tour manager and then they just book their own stuff I mean he now has enough of a fan base wherever he goes so he doesn't even need an agent then. yeah pretty much he's like I'm gonna go to this you know this dive this club this wherever this year uh, as far as I know that's my understanding that for the past several years at least I'm sure he's had one but yeah he's like he had he has the, 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 the machine in place right and that's the thing that I would love to have. Like, you know, to, obviously to be like, to look ahead and be like, oh, a career like Mike Birbiglia has or Pat Oswalt or Lou, uh, you right. know, like there's, you know, Marie but, but that's, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Are you, are you, I mean, do you think television show, you know, do you, do you think I, in that, in that way? I have like, I've, you know, I have a friend in Boston named Ken Reed, who's one of the funniest guys I know. And like, we wrote a pilot together okay. sort of based on my life. And we have, you know, I, I've done things like I'm, I'm working on a book right now okay, okay. Uh, based on like I wrote a piece for Thrillist about things that vegans and vegetarians hear and how Are to you respond vegan? to them. I am. Okay. And uh, and look, it hasn't come up for almost an hour. <laughs> uh, but you know, so those sorts of things that people are like, well, what about the and so I'm work- hopefully uh, this will be an idea that people will like as a book and, and it'll catch on. And, uh, and that's you know, I have a lit agent that's like sending it to places nice. and. Uh, so that's the thing that I don't I don't like there's a lot of people that are like oh yeah of course you want your own sitcom right and like I if somebody was like I'll give it to you then I would take it uh, but mostly I just want to keep being the thing that I loved about music and which is the thing that I love about comedy which is the thing that I don't love about acting is that it's all about being yourself right. it's, it's all about exactly saying what you want to say doing what you want to do not answering to anybody right. coming up with here's what I think here's your what vision. I want to say your vision and I mean obviously like somebody like Louie has the ultimate in that he's like executes his own vision yeah. in fiction and people get to and people are like yeah do whatever you want right. you're the best right. and so if somebody was like oh yeah here's here's some money to do whatever you want great I don't know what I would do exactly but I would keep putting out music albums I would uh, keep putting out com- I mean I'm gonna keep putting out comedy albums right. like because that's the thing I know how to do right. and I love doing is just constantly developing material because you know you keep living life and right. you keep thinking things and I'm like, oh, can I, as long as people keep inviting me places or letting so, me come places. So those things would be a bonus thing. Completely, complete bonus. But you're very comfortable yeah. where you are. Yeah, love love doing stand-up on TV, on late-night shows, love, you know, putting out specials and albums, love doing At Midnight and shows yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shows with vehicles for your own aesthetic, basically. Yeah, no, and if, if somebody was, you know, Todd Barry is another guy who has, like, an, uh, I think an amazing career yeah. where... When I don't feel like he auditions for a lot of things, right? I feel like people, people are people like, write something hey, for him. Hey, come be yourself it, through this filter. Exactly. Like you know, I mean, not to say that he wasn't acting when he was in The Wrestler, right. you know, but you know, they were like, hey, come be this part. Right. This part is for you because you already are kind of a character, and we yeah. could use that character yeah. in this thing. We want this yeah. guy to do this thing here, yeah. and I've gotten to do a few things. Like, I, do you know Nick Vatterat? No. Oh, he is so funny. I'll send you some links. Please do. Look at. I mean, watch his Nick Vatterat. Uh, I think his late night debut was on when Fallon was the you know the late late night with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. His set on there is amazing. He has a Conan set or two that are amazing, and he's like one of the funniest guys that I've ever seen do stand up live, recorded, whatever. And he, uh, why am I even saying this? Uh, what were we talking about a second ago? 
Joe. Oh yeah, he had a show with T.J. Miller. Okay. On, on Comedy Central called Mashup. I don't know if you saw it a couple. I, years you ago. know, I think I did see it once or twice. I don't remember it though. It was on for maybe one season. Uh, it was, uh, and they, it was a combination. They'd have some people doing stand up, and they would like sort of put, they make sketches out of some people's bits, and then they would have just these sort of mashups of words that would become sketch up sketches. Nice. Like I, I used to have a blog that I call, I still, it's still online, probably called Godzillionaire, okay. which was like a combination of the word Godzilla and Zillionaire, just like combined words and like write little, you know, like pieces or haikus or things about what that would mean, like right. Dave a telemarketer, you know, like, <laughs> and be like, so whatever, you know, and I think there was a, a thing like that years ago called like Sniglets that okay. another comedian used to do. So, you know, I didn't invent it, but it was just a thing that, you know, people like, like combined, like people, people like having fun. And so I remember Nick and TJ had a show, had this show and they brought me in to like consult and like nice. pitch ideas. And nice. so that was like, I love doing that. And people were like, hey, you, give, lend us your brain for a little but while. See, I guess the yeah. point of what I was trying to get to, and it sounds like I'm already hearing you, is that you're not sure. necessarily like, you're not in a position where you're putting your hopes into any one of these things, taking you to anywhere other than you, because you're already really comfortable where you are. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think that uh, I'm grateful for everything that I've accomplished. I feel good about it, and I'm also striving for, you know, heading into the future, whatever it is. I mean, I didn't even know, like, the, on the basis level, hope for the best, plan for the worst, right. and figure out what you want to do, head towards it. I wanted to be a singer-songwriter, and then organically, accidentally found comedy, shifted well. into comedy. Who knows what I'm going to be doing in 10 years? You know, Steve Martin's, you know, talking about art now. You know, right. he, he's doing what he's doing. Like, I, once you, you know, once you know what you want to do and you start doing it, like, I'm not, you know, I feel like predicting the future is arrogant in a way. Right. Be like, oh, I'm going to do, I mean, it's great to have goals. Uh, but, you, but just by continually wagering on your own aesthetic, you kind of just put yourself in a position to kind of be next to the, probably the, the opportunities that you would want the most anyway. So far, so good. Right. You know, like, I mean, everything I've been doing, like, I mean, I, I, I didn't know stand-up was a thing until really I got to college, right. you know. I knew that I'd seen Paul Reiser, you know. <laughs> uh, but, like, when I got to college and I, started, I learned, like, that there were not famous comedians. Like, I did not know that growing up. Right. And then I was like, oh. And oh. then other people, <laughs> I could be one of these. This is, and I... There's no exam. There's and, then, no. and then you learn, I mean, the thing that you learn when you start doing comedy, if hopefully, when you when you start, is that the only way to do it is just to do it. Yeah. Write and perform. Write and perform. Like, they're like yeah, there's there's no secret. There's no shortcut. Right. Maybe you can get lucky in some ways, but just do the things you want to do. Like, always do the thing that you want to do, because even if it doesn't work, at least you were doing what you wanted right. to do. And if it does work, bonus. And if you're doing something you don't want to do, maybe it'll lead to some success. But if you, the worst thing that you can do is doing something you don't want to do that leads to something that you where that you don't want to be. Right. So, hopefully, you know, you're always thinking. I, I'm always thinking about the present as much as possible. Ideally, heading towards a future that I want. Like, I mean, the in, in a future where I have more fans, where I have you know people that'll like Doug Stanhope's right. you know fan base or whoever. Like people, I know there are people out there right. that would like me if they saw me. And like the Netflix special is a thing that probably more people are seeing like on a daily basis than almost any like I feel like every day I look online and there's like a thousand more so you're like ratings. watching the thing happen like 
right in front of you. A little, and like every every That's week, so cool. every yeah. Sunday, I've been writing back to the like all the tweets that came in that week, yeah. saying no. Nice I've been seeing them because I like I like the because I, I do that too sometimes. Like you kind of retweet. Oh, yeah, so your favorite one. Yeah, yeah. no, because yeah. you know to me, so I, I get I get I get in my own head about this sometimes. Like I just put an album out, so I'm like in promotion mode. You right. know what I mean? And I don't like I don't want to um, super spam up people following me, but it's like I do want people to know that other people are enjoying this thing, you know, so I, yeah. I like, you know, it's and good that you, that I you don't, do yeah. that, and I, you know, I try to do that as well. I don't want to, I mean, some people, like, retweet every nice thing that gets right. said to them, and that seems a little It's over the top. Yeah. And you're it's like, oh, I, I get it, but, so I always try to retweet it and, and say, say something, something either, yeah. either sincere or funny, or ideally both. Right. And I think there's some people, like, Todd Barry is a great example of somebody who does a really good job with promoting in a funny way. Like, he put out his uh, his special, The Crowd Work. I think it's called The Crowd Work Tour or The Crowd Work Special. I forget which one yeah. it is, but it's a Crowd Work Special, mm-hmm. and it's great, and it's five bucks, and it's, like he's, he does such great promotion. I'm doing it for him now. Right. <laughs> Get it from Louis C.K.'s website. That's where it is. I mean, it's like, what pedigree more do you want? Right. But every once in a while, like, Tom put it out a few months ago, right. and then every once in a while, he'll come up with a funny new way to tweet about it. Like, the like if the Kentucky Derby was happening, be like, he would have some tweet that ties in his special to the Kentucky, my my special, the Kentucky Derby of, you know, whatever it is, like, he's better than my making something up about it. But no, that's, I mean, I, I think I, I try to aim to do that too, but then I give up, and I'm just like, retweet, retweet, retweet. <laughs> and, I mean, hopefully the people that like you, you know, understand, would, yeah, exactly. they, if they're following you, exactly. it's because they like you, and. But you know, it's just, you know, you just want to be, you want to be respectful of people's eyeballs, and. Of course. And you know, like, okay, I have, I have like nine thousand followers, but I, and but you know, I've only sold maybe a thousand albums. You know what I mean? Of course, of course. And I wish I could turn it off for the people who already bought it. Yeah. There's something oh, yeah. more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, you know, I feel like I need to, you know, keep. That'd be great pushing. to be able to opt out of the. Hey, already bought it. Right. So I was, I was always thinking this is always my idea for NPR. If there was some way that after you pledged, you could turn off. Oh my God. The pledging. Here's they the code. would get so much more money. That would be amazing. Of course, yeah. yeah. The please shut up button. Exactly. Yeah. If you gave them, you know, twenty bucks to shut up, you That's know. Got it. And I mean, because there's so many things that are working like that now. I mean, I listen to one of my favorite podcasts. I'll say my definite favorite podcast is Dan Savage. Okay. The Savage Love Cast. Yeah, okay, I've heard about it. I've never heard of it. It's he's one of my favorite people in the world. And for I think that, you know there've been more than there's been hundreds of episodes, and it was like 45 minutes, and he would have he would be spot. When it started, eventually he was sponsored by, you know, the normal Adam and Eve, you know, yeah, yeah, get, yeah. get your sex toys here, or audible.com, get your free downloads. Very recently, in the past year, he started, he was like, people have been writing in with suggestions or complaints or requests that we, hey, why don't we do this? And so now what you can either listen to, for free, the 45-minute version uh, with ads, or you can pay, you know, 20 bucks. 30 bucks, whatever it is, and you get half a year's worth. Uncut. No ads and double the content. Like a hundred, like an hour and 20 minutes. Very smart. And I, I'm like, of course. Yeah. Like, I want to give money 
to people to for get their content. things. Right. Yeah. It, 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 oh, yeah. So you, you, you not only want to reward them with money, but you yeah. want the extra stuff it's, as yeah, well. I it's want, brilliant. Yeah, I would love to. Like, it comes out once a week. I would love to listen to it for an hour and 20 minutes rather than 45 minutes a week. Plus, I mean, and I can afford, uh, you know, $35 like twice a year. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I love it. Like, when Mark Marin first came out, I gave him, like, whatever, you know, I think whether it's $3, $5, $10, whatever it was, like, a reasonable amount, you know, for the price of a cup of coffee, right. you know? <laughs> like, if you're if you're consuming it and you can afford it. Right. Like, it makes, it makes especially at I me mean, as creators, I mean, I wish more, like, you know, non-creators understood that, but just the way that our economy works, that if yeah. you, you know, you vote with the dollar, you know what I mean? Like, and the, the, more, the thousand true fans idea, do you know that thing? Like, no. the, the idea, there's some somebody postulated, you know, the number could be not exact, but if you have a thousand true fans that will buy everything that you do, like, you know, every year you put out an album mm-hmm. that costs $10 and a thousand people buy it, then you have $10,000. Right. Like, if you have a thousand true fans, that's all you need. Right. Like, so you put out two albums a year, they'll love it. They'll right. buy it. $20,000. Like, right. whatever it is. And, the, yeah, if you look at, I have 20,000 Twitter followers right now, uh, but, and if, if, you know, my iTunes album is like $10, that would be an immense amount of money. Right. If every, <laughs> every, but, every one of them bought it. Of course. It. But of course, every not everybody right. who's, I'll, I'll listen to your tweets for free, <laughs> but I won't give you $10, right? I'll say after shows sometimes, like, I'll do a show, and I'll say I have a couple albums for sale like, that are different than the show that I just did. Right. So if you like the show, you can get a new album. If you didn't like the show, it's a totally different album. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, so... It's funny because, like, I mean, I'll do that to, like, if I see somebody, like, on the subway, like, playing music and it's great, I'll give them money. Yeah, right. If they have an album, even better, right. you know? It's, uh, I remember my friend Dave in college, would, he's like, I only give homeless people money if they're doing something entertaining, you know? Like, right. if they're playing a xylophone, they're like, yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. We saw a guy once walking down the street just singing, help a hungry epileptic, <laughs> help a hungry epileptic. We were like, is he doing this on purpose? He's like, either way, here you go. We'll give you some help. Just for that extra effort. Well, yeah. uh, Mike, you have to tell the people where to find you. I will do it. Uh, number one, uh, you can find me anywhere. I'm not afraid. Come up to me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, my Israelis, name- you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that one. Please don't find me. Uh, Mike Kaplan, M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. If you put it in, dot com or Twitter or Facebook, YouTube, iTunes. Uh, the new the Netflix special is called Small, Dork, and Handsome. You can watch it on there. It's awesome. You can download it on iTunes. Thank you so much for saying uh, my podcast is called Hang Out With Me your episode will be out soon awesome uh, and that's uh, on the Keith and the Girl network at keithandthegirl.com slash hang and uh, Micah Sherman and I have put out music I have a few albums we just put out a free mixtape if you want if you want something for free it's called the Micah Mike Mega Mixtape uh, and it has stuff on it that I don't think we could sell because there's some parodies and stuff that we'd probably have to pay people money if we collected money but feel free to send us money if you want to unrelated Relatedly. Uh, but yeah, definitely support. If you like somebody and you're getting something from them for free and there's a way that you can buy something from them or donate to their Kickstarter or help them if they have a donate button, whatever it is, like, give it a shot. Uh, Zach Sherwin, uh, check out his music. Like his, We've talked about this because his YouTube channel, does, he doesn't like having ads. Like, okay. like, even for, you know, five seconds, like, he's like, look, I just want to give you the content and then buy the album if you want, you know? 
Like some of the stuff, Watsky, same thing. Like puts out some free mixtapes and then puts out an album. Like if you get a mixtape from somebody for free, why not buy their album next time? Like it's the greatest thing. Like help people if you have the money. If you don't have the money, then don't do it. Then just take the free stuff. You're totally fine. So <laughs> enjoy my podcast for free. There's some ones that you have to pay for. If you want to pay, if you can pay, you'll get bonus content. You pay for things, you get them. And uh, yeah, and don't be afraid of anything except for death and pain. All right. Thank you very much. This is Mike Eagle, and the show uh, was recorded live in the West Village in a pizza shop. We're still sitting at yeah. and drinking things when it's still daytime. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Uh-huh. Peace. Another long interview, another song here for you. This one's called Museum. It's a demo, and it's really, really silly. Enjoy. Disappear, get it all gone up in flame. I'm still trying to get my name on the wall that I hallowed Hall of Fame. But none of us paid our union dues to keep the place maintained. I'm still trying to get my name on the wall that I hallowed Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. A picture of a hospital pizza bacon and Big Bang Hank and his pizza apron. Cause even the section for 90s New Yorkers who made themselves sound like street Jamaicans in a grim reef room to get sleep awakened. Taste from the basement, play on a loop. But most of his cigarette with his face in the booth is a big glass case for true boys to mess up my mind with the eye patch. You may call it trivia, but this is what you're missing. My whole entire rap career was a native tongues audition. Some know shit about elder bards and the folks in mint condition. But me and my sister made dance routines to Wuha in our kitchen, and we put them all in check. To the east, you know, there's a whole lot of name drop streets to go. Gotta be at least three feet to blow this dead balloon. In fact, it's a dedicated video room with at least a thousand channels. From Pump It Up to the video jukebox, also Ralph McDaniel. There's footage of Everlast with the rhyme syndicate walking without a flannel. I heard the electricity spotted your best, so don't blow out your candle. It's fucking dark in here. I was told of some bizarre lies in at least one old exhibit. Some bloating and shit in the archives, but you need a code to get it. There's some older anti-apartheid joints with a soldier's feeling. But the dancing tour doesn't start till five, so please control your children. Secret Skin is a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media.